Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer, and I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show, of course, will be about Pesach. We're going to be talking about matzah, that's the main topic, but we have many other things we have to bring in because uh, it seems <laughs> a lot of things are lining up already. You know, it, it, it always starts to... Uh, pick up right around Purim and uh, Baruch Hashem things are coming in one thing after another and I want to share with what I have with you uh, but I'm going to start with something that's not Pesach related but it's something that we spoke about here on the show and that is that there is a store in our neighborhood here in the Flappish area and I'm sure there are many stores like this but this one is uh, it seems to be owned by a Shomer Shabbos person, very religious person, and it's serving um, the community at large, including uh, mostly a, an observant population. Uh, but the, the, the people who shop there have different kinds of values. They're mixed values. Some have a, a very strict kosher, and some are more, a little more liberal. It seems that there's a certain rabbi not going to get into names now, a certain rabbi that's well-known who has been teaching for many, 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 many years that uh, one can read ingredients and decide on the basis of what says on the ingredients whether or not you could use the product. Uh, this goes back to the way we were living in the 1950s and in the 40s and 50s in America. First of all, in those days, there wasn't so many uh, there weren't so many uh, products that were, uh, it had a lot of different additives the way it is today. And uh, we were ignorant a lot of, of a lot of things and probably were fooling ourselves. And and what was told at that time was to read the ingredients. I always like to tell the story that when I was a kid, they used to, to every year the Rebbe came out with another level. First, uh, you have to look at the cookies and you have to see that it uh, that it says vegetable shortening because otherwise it could be lard. Then the next year they came, they told us that's not good enough. It has to say pure vegetable shortening. And then they came back another year and then they said, or I'm just saying a year, it could be two, three years later. Then they would come and they tell us, no, it has to say 100% pure vegetable shortening. And we were eating ingredients. That's what it was. And then finally the OU came out with uh, some cookies and a couple other things. And then people were using only the ones with Hadashkacha. And, and, and we switched. But we were ignorant of, of a lot of what was inside, and maybe there wasn't such a terrible thing. Maybe it was. I don't know. I can't tell you. Unfortunately, many people from my generation, that's how Kashrus started out in here in America. But we're not there anymore. We're in a world which has over a million kosher certified products. Not an exaggeration. Over a million kosher certified products. The OU claims to have about a million. But by name, you know, like the size and the SKUs, let's say. They may have about a million, the OU, with the SKUs and the different sizes and the different names. And like, you know, for example, um, if, I, if I tell you something that uh, Heinz Company has actually uh, 50,000, I believe it is, or maybe it's 30,000 different labels because they produce for 500 or 600 different businesses and they have a lot of different labels so a lot of different products so all those products and all the sizes and all those companies and it's coming out of this one uh company called uh, heinz 
Now take that and multiply it by the other big companies the OU has, and you're going to have easily about a million different uh, products by SKU. And uh, it's it, it, that's what we have today. Who has to go read ingredients? And yet these people are. And this, this rabbi is teaching that. And the people go into the store and they say, this is what we want because it, it, it's good enough. It's good enough for us. And the store is carrying those kind of things. So what's needed, and that's why I'm mentioning it. First of all, it's needed to be aware of it. But the more important thing is that the rabbis in our community have to be teaching the public how to go about kosher. I think if all of the rabbis would would talk very clearly about the different standards and to say that we expect our balabat and people who pray in this synagogue that they're going to uh they're going to follow these rules I think then that this wouldn't happen in our community that's my understanding I'm not going to go into more detail although I know quite a bit about it and I do know that yes if the rabbis would demand it and the people would no longer request it that particular store would change its policy. Okay, I'm not going to go into detail. If you understood this little piece, fine. If not, uh, go about your life. I mean, if you're looking for hashgachas and uh, they find that on there, so then that's fine. We're not talking about anybody misrepresenting. Just that the question is that some of the things uh, don't have a hashgacha or they don't say uh, whatever it is. They don't have hashgacha on it and they're being carried in the store and people are using them and relying on the fact that I can read the ingredients. Okay. Now, another thing that uh, I'd like to bring out, and this is a very common problem, is the uh, the lists. Now, Baruch Hashem, today we have a lot of very good pace of information uh, uh, tools. There's the, the OU puts out a, a booklet, the Star K puts out a booklet, the CRC in Chicago puts out a booklet, I believe the CRC in Williamsburg also puts out a booklet, and we put out a, a magazine, it's 80 pages, which includes a lot of information, Baruch Hashem, we work on it very hard, and it's, uh, it reflects it, uh, the 2018 Passover Guide, and uh, it's available in some of the stores. If you can't see it easily, you can get it online, kashrasmagazine.com. You can call us at 718-336-8544 or send me an email at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. You can text us there and at the, at the, at the, um, to the, the kashrus mag, kashrus at AOL.com. You could text. And if, if you, uh, if you're interested in getting the booklet, so that 80-page booklet, we'll get it to you, we'll ship it out right away, and you'll have it in a couple of days. Maybe uh, if it's here in Brooklyn. If you want to pick it up, you could do that too. So uh, that's what we do. But all of these booklets exist. And yet we see every year other little things coming out that don't come from a responsible source. There was there were a lot of uh, booklets that came out in the Sephardic world. I don't know what what's there now. I don't know at all. But at, at one time, there were booklets and lists coming out in the Sephardic world that did not reflect what the Rabbanim in the Sephardic community felt was appropriate. And uh, there were listing there all kinds of uh, different uh, products 
that they say doesn't even need a kosher for Passover designation. It's good enough for more year. And I spoke to the OU about some of the things that are on that list, and they told me that they're absolutely wrong. The list is 100% wrong. They're using the same equipment. There's no there's no breakdown over there. There's no question that real chametz is getting in. Now, whether it's bottle or not, that's that's a little bit much. You want to go rely on that, so you're uh, you're really playing a game, Russian roulette. There is chametz, and it's going to be bottle. Okay, if you know for sure, and you and that's your sheet of the Sephardic world, it's fine. But if but you don't know it because you don't have anybody standing there, and the information that was given out. And these, on these booklets over the years was incorrect. Now there's a publication, I mean, not a real publication, but it's something you can get. You can actually get it yourself. I just got it before I came to the show. It's called 67 products that don't require special certification for Passover. So it's a list of 67 products. I mean, it's a, you know, it discusses, uh, like say, for example, uh, water and tea bags and sugar. It discusses all those things. And then there's a list of uh, a lot of things that are not food items, 48 things that are not food items. So you take the uh, the, the, tw- the 19 food items and mix them with the, the, the 48 uh, items that are uh, non-food items. You know, like toilet, toilet bowl cleaner. Okay, big deal. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, they, they, they have these lists of that and they put together at 67. So it sounds very exciting. Doesn't cost anything. 67 products that don't require special certification for Passover. And if I were to read this myself, I would say, looks okay. I wouldn't know anything about it. Of course, I would, that's if I wouldn't, you know, just see it. And whoever put it out, I don't know who the person is. I'm sure had very good intent, and I'm sure that they uh, did what they had to do, and then and you know they made a, a concerted effort. It's a very pretty little thing, sixty-seven products that don't require special certification to pass over, and the purpose was to make life easy. That's all, not to make everybody crazy. But I got an email, and that's what I want to share with you. And I can't give you the details because I would I would be giving away the names of the people. They really shouldn't be said. So I'm going, to, I'm going to leave it out. But this is from some of the best people in the kosherist industry. The people that I look up to personally and in respect. And here's what it says. He sends this, uh, that this person sent out this little list to us. It's called the Free Pesach Cheat Sheet. That's what it's called. Free Pesach Cheat Sheet. Cheating, you know, cheat, C-H-E-A-T. The Free Pesach Cheat Sheet. You can get it yourself. And the free Pesach cheat sheet has the 67 products that do not need a special kosher or Pesach designation. And here's the email that I got. Definitely not okay. There are mistakes, including the following. Consumers can see the OU Pesach guide themselves online or by mail and see the correct information. Amateurs should not be publishing cautious information. That's what this person wrote, and they gave examples, and I'm going to share with you, because I want to show you how easily we can all be fooled, and with good meaning and good intent, religious people, no shortcuts, not intending to hurt anybody, but just the fact that you can't just go and make a kitzer of everything, and and, and it's going to work. Uh, We spend a lot of time sending out everything that we print to all the cautious organizations we can think of who it ties into, 
and getting all their approvals before we print a word. That's how we work. Every year we spend, I can't tell you how much time is spent on it, tremendous amount researching everything all over again, like it never existed. And that's how we work. But here, this little thing, you know, a cheat sheet, and you got 67 things on two pages, and it's cute and everything, and you figure, got to be good. Why not? And it says, even you know, it says on the cheat sheet, that this list is compiled from the OU 2018 Guide to Passover. <laughs> you took it from the source. But here's here are just five little things, and I want to show you how easily... Pesach can be confused. Number one, on the little cheat sheet, it says that fresh fruit and vegetables, quote, fresh produce never requires a hechsher. But the CRC recommends purchasing pre-washed bagged lettuce, shredded vegetables like cabbage and broccoli slaw, and baby carrots before the holiday. Incorrect, this gentleman writes. Infestation-prone produce does require hechsher all year, unless the consumer knows how to check or clean, which is not so feasible with the bagged products, because if they're kind of bagged already, they're too small for you to be able to check. The CRC does require Pesach hechsher for bagged salad. So you, it doesn't mean, not the way the person wrote, it doesn't require it for Pesach. It says, if certified, is not available, and it contains no sensitive additives by before Pesach. But the consumer has no way of knowing if citric acid or antifoam was used in the processing. So it's not an advisable thing to go out there and buy these things and just figure what could be wrong. Because citric acid is kidneyous, and antifoam, I'm not sure if it's a kidneyous problem or a base or a, or a problem, problem, not sure. Whatever it is, it's an issue. And so therefore, the, uh, a quick statement about the fresh fruit and vegetables, no problem, da, 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 even the bag lettuce, no, 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 no problem, no problem. And yet that is not the position. And they quoted the CRC, but it was not the correct quote. Next, frozen fruit. Frozen, unsweetened, additive-free without syrup, citric acid, ascorbic acid, or vitamin C, whole, sliced, or formed fruit never requires lashkoch, including on Passover. Incorrect! Infestation-prone fruit needs hechsher all the year. For example, the strawberries, the blueberries, all these things, you're going to just tell me that I can go buy frozen, unsweetened additive. See, it never requires a hechsher. Now you're leading the people in a way that they're, that they can definitely, definitely, definitely be misled. It's, it's a shame. Number three was about juice concentrate. Here was the quote. OU supervised unsweetened orange and white grapefruit juice concentrate may be used on Passover with special KLP certification. Well, here's one that went the other way. <laughs> the person wrote, it has to have a special kosher Pesach certification for uh, our unsweetened orange juice and white grapefruit juice concentrate, etc., etc. Only one problem. The OU's position is it doesn't need a special kosher Pesach designation. So here they got the thing the other way around. Okay? And the, another point is it's only if no additives are there, or if there's any additives, 
then the juice concentrates not okay. Number four, this again, what says in this little list over here, raw, whole pieces or chopped nuts or nut meal without BHT or BHA are acceptable without special KLP certification. All forms of pecans, however, require a KLP hechsher. What it says the answer is, I mean, what they say about it is, the OU and the CRC do require hechsher for ground nuts. So even though it says over here, you know, making it gives an impression it doesn't need ever a hashkacha, the ground nuts, like nut meal, does need a special Pesach designation. Now water, what could be wrong with water? Here's what it says in the cheat sheet, the Pesach cheat sheet. All still and part sparkling water plus seltzer are acceptable year-round without a hechsher and may be used on Passover as well as long as there are no added minerals. Now there's another thing we're going to say, but it doesn't say here. Only if it's unflavored, and today water is definitely flavored water. It's it's the game. The game changed. There's a plain water. <laughs> People drink plain water. Whoever who brings train who brings plain seltzer anymore? <laughs> plain water. People drink flavored and no additives that can't have any additives such as vitamins. So the point is water is is a very plain product. But you've got to make sure it's unflavored and there are no additives. And this little thing over here, you know, as I say, it's a, it's a cheat sheet. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we're not taking a test. We're trying to keep kosher for Pesach. So here we have a perfect example of a woman, probably, I don't know, sure, it shouldn't have said woman. But anyway, because it's a website, you can see what it is. Um, a, a well-meaning person. I have nothing against that person. I do not know that person. I'm not making a comment on my own. I'm reading something and I got an email and it was, I just got the email two days ago and I thought it was very important to understand that even a little plain little sheet like this, no, don't go there. Hopefully you can go to my magazine. Hopefully, or else you can go, let's say to the OU publication or to the, uh, you can go to the CRC publication. The OU is free. You can get it on the website. The CRC one is free. The Star K, part of it is free and part of it is you have to buy in the store. I mean, the whole thing you can buy in the store, but they can get part of it free on their website. And my magazine, you pay for. And of course, you have every Lumicans's book, etc. You have you have things out there that, that people put in tremendous koichas to try to make sure that it's thorough, accurate, not misleading, etc., etc. And even we are human, we try our best. But uh, not to go ahead and, and, and to make little mini sheets and, you know, summaries, <laughs> kitzers, it doesn't really work. It's very, very well intended. Rabbi, and, I, I just, yeah. I, I just jumping over because I cannot, you know, this is something that's really, it's deceiving the, 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 the crowd, which, you know, uh, uh, this this person that wrote this is not afraid afraid of something you know I just don't understand there's not no no achrayut no, no because they, they, they meant well no uh, what they meant well but this you know it's a, like, this is not a case of where no this was not a case of where somebody was giving coolers to the Sephardim based upon kidneys and things like that this was a point that the person took a publication that's out there and made a small little. Uh, 
you know, a little list, a little checklist, and and try to make it easier for the public. The problem was that they really got some of the stuff wrong, and it really wasn't uh, it wasn't run past anybody in the industry. And 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 you just can't always take something and shorten it. I heard I was listening today to somebody uh, Talmud of Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi. A Talmud of Rabbi Yosef Mizrach, who gives himself a lot of lectures. So he had an interesting point. He said that um, there was a, somebody who wanted to make, he, he, he didn't believe in the Rambam as a hush of a person. He, you know, Rambam's a human. He's not bad. Why is he better than anybody else? So this person told him, you know, he, he, he was able to get the entire Torah Shibichsav and Torah Shibaalpeh and in a concise form, without an extra letter, and not an extra word or extra letter, he was able to give us the whole Torah of the, all the 63 volumes of the Shas in a, a small book. It was really very, very, very small. And he's got, he's got everything in there. And, and, and look at all the hundreds of years. Nobody's, nobody's proven them wrong on anything. I mean, maybe may disagree on halacha, but, but obviously it was a, an amazing piece of work. So this fellow wasn't impressed. He was a scientist of some sort. So he decided, you know, he says, I could do the same thing. So the person said to him, okay, take one any halacha you want. I suppose it was a from person. If he wasn't from, at least he knew Judaism. I don't know, must have been from. And he took, and he, and he took, and he worked on it, and he was able to get one halacha. He got it down to 31 words, something like that. So the, the, the rabbi said to him, no, that's no good. Try for something better. So he spent a long time working on it. He got down to 27. He said, not, not good enough. Go down float lower. And he got it down to, I don't know what it was, uh, the 21, I think it was. It was, you know, it was going down a little bit. And this was the best the man could do. He says, that's it. I can't do better than that. And then the rabbi showed him the Rambam said it in seven words. Well, <laughs> and the point is you can't do that. Now, if I'm going to go ahead and take the OU booklet, and I'm going to make a kitzer of it. So I got to check it with them. I, I I have a little piece that comes from a good friend of mine, uh, Rabbi Brody in Detroit. This little piece he gave me, and I say source, C-O-R Detroit. And I wrote it up the way it was, the way it was given to me by him. And then I sent it to him for approval. And don't you think he sent it back with changes <laughs> I didn't say it was wrong the first time, but it was more clarified. And then we did it the second time, I believe, and he changed it again. <laughs> so we are trying to work with as close to perfect as we can. Nobody should be out there playing the game of Kitzer because it's already Kitzer. We're trying to keep it short and neat and sweet. The 80 pages is not just Pesach. I have my other things in here too. But I mean, we have the, we have, uh, 81 Pesach alerts. Many of them are only our own. No, we won't find them anyplace else. But this is what you, this is what we do. This is what the OU does. You can't go ahead and out OU the OU or out Rambam the Rambam. It doesn't work. That's all. It's a very simple thing. And it's a good intent. I, I hope this person, uh, will either cease and desist in the future or work on it and get the approval from the OU that you're saying the correct information. Nothing wrong with it. If you want to do it and to get an approval, wonderful. But don't do it without going back to the people. 
I, I saw something today was very, very uh, unimpressive. I saw a new publication came out, and you know because I'm an editor, <laughs> I saw the, the number of errors, tremendous number of errors, and I felt very bad for them because it, when you make a lot of errors, so it 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 affects the quality and the people don't think about it as a very serious publication, and it, and it hurts. You got to spend the time. You got to do the proofing as much as you humanly possibly can. You can go through it a couple of times. You can't go through it fifty times, but you go through it a few times. Make sure, and you don't put something out like this without running it past somebody and working with them. That's the point. Now I'm going to work a little bit on the time we have, mostly about matzah. But uh, I do have other stuff in my hand. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get to it. Let's work on the matzah. Oh, but let me just view these few things that came out. It's on my publication called Kashrus Monthly. We send some down to the wire, Pesach News. And the most interesting one to me was the fact that the, uh, maybe it's not the most interesting, was the fact that the Star K had given out, and we wrote it in our magazine, that they're not putting out any, Quinoa. Now, quinoa to me is a problem because I remember Rabbi Belsky was very clear. Rabbi Belsky held that quinoa is kidneyous. And to put a plain OU or star K on it was not what we, he wanted. And, uh, and that's where we were at one point. And then the star K decided it's, it's not kidneyous. And then the OU <coughs> went against Rabbi Belsky's opinion and worked with Rabbi uh, Schachter's opinion and, and poskined that it's going to be, uh, OU on quinoa. And now quinoa has OU and has star K. But this year the star K did not come out with quinoa. So that's how we had it in my book. And I printed the book only a week ago. <laughs> but during that time, about a day or two ago, the Star K sent out an email, and this is what it said. The following three products are approved for Passover when bearing Star K and produced by Andean Valley, Bol- uh, Bolivia. Green quinoa brand, raw, raw whole grain quinoa only in the following varieties. White grain royal quinoa 12 ounce, Red grain royal quinoa, 12 ounce, and tricolor grain royal quinoa, 12 ounce. No additional Passover symbol is needed. So there, the the star K, at the last minute, that people couldn't live without the quinoa. <laughs> so they got away, they, 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 they did whatever they could, and they came out that they're going to allow certain of the products that they have for all year as kosher pace. I thought it was interesting. And the other thing I thought was interesting, which actually I mentioned, I think on this, on the show, but it, now it's, it's been finally, uh, I got a, I got the OU to give out a, uh, a, an announcement. So, so you probably will see it other places, but you heard it on this show first because we went to the OU with it. Uh, the, 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 uh, not the OU, I'm sorry. This is, this is, uh, the okay. It seems, uh, I believe it's the okay. Alfasi, A-L-F-A-S-I, Alfasi Reserve Wines from Royal Wine Company, uh, that's Kedem, uh, produced before 2017, are not Mavushal. The 2017 Alfasi Reserve Wines are Mavushal. It says so in the English, but the bottles say not Mavushal in Hebrew. <laughs> so it's a steer between uh what it says in Hebrew and what it says in English. And the answer, the winner, is it is Mavushal, but only the 2017 Alfasi. So that's an Ogea, you know, people have over to the house 
on Pesach or on Shabbos, they have people who are not yet Shomer Shabbos. And how do you deal with that? You have to give them wine uh, from part of the Kiddush. So the best thing is not to pass the wine around the table, but to hand the wine to the individual person and uh, if you're using wine that's not mavushal, of course, if you're using mavushal and you hold that the mavushal is mavushal, which not everybody agrees with, but if you hold the mavushal is mavushal, then you you could supposedly pass it around and it shouldn't be a problem. Okay, so I thought that those two things were interesting, and uh, of course the the cheat sheet, which was something. <laughs> I hadn't even known it existed. Must have, I mean, may exist every year. I hope the person puts it in order next time. Let's talk a little bit about matzah because matzah is very confusing. Somebody told me that they went to the store and they saw hand shmura matzah on sale. $45 a pound. That's a sale? No, I mean, it's being sold for $45 a pound. No, they weren't in some boutique in Manhattan. They were here in Brooklyn in a well-known store. It was a it was a brand that people like very much. Seems seems to be some people go crazy over this brand of of uh, of hand shmura matzah, and it got to forty five dollars a pound. How many in a pound? I don't know six, eight, ten, whatever it is. That's 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 bucks. We're talking about you know nine, ten dollars a matzah. I mean, no, it's not, I'm sorry, half of that. For, for four and a half dollars a matzah, four or five dollars a matzah. That's, that's a lot of money for, for one matzah. I mean, imagine how much people use over Pesach. All right, listen. If a person uses five, six pounds or, over Pesach, it costs them a few hundred dollars. I mean, Pesach's gonna cost thousands anyway. So, uh, it's not the end of the world. But still in all, how could you charge $45 a pound for matzah? It's, I mean, maybe if you did some amazing things, maybe if you did, you know, put one matzah in at a time, but starting to make matzah that costs so much money seems like over the top. In any event, what, the, I mean, the good, the matzahs that are made hand tend to cost more and the, and the people who go in groups, they tend to pay more, but I never heard the number 45 yet. I mean, I have heard it on very special occasions when i started baking matzah it's a lot of years ago i'm trying to remember how many but it's it's a it's a bunch of decades and uh, at that time label birnbaum zatzal of shmuel birnbaum from yeshiva from mir yeshiva his son zatzal uh fantastic talmud chacham and yuvesha mayim a great person wonderful personality and he came back from Israel I think it was the first time he was there for a few years or something or maybe just a year and he came back and he was a firebrand and he put together a group of people and I was one of them to go to the matzah baking together with him and we went to uh, we, we we went to Satmar in Williamsburg and we paid $11 a pound which was awesome a lot of money in those days but you know we we did it how many pounds did we buy i was i think it was a bucker at the time so how many pounds of matzah did i buy and you know what we bought and then we did it and, and i was trained into how to do matzah there and label rub label that's how uh 
put in all the chumras that he had learned in Israel, except one. In Israel, he when he baked over there, they did one matzah at a time in the oven. They never put two matzahs in at the same time. You had to take one out before another one went in. A very slow process. And we asked him, what would it cost if we would do that? I think they said about $50 a pound. <laughs> it was something really ridiculous. But that's what it cost in Israel. What, that cost $50 a pound? Yeah, in Israel. It was okay, a sort today, of magic. You know, the, the, some, my son, the same, yeah. they, have the, they have the special field. Yeah. They, from the from the tzira, yeah. they have the, the, the everything. everything. Everything, beautiful. In any event, for some people it's going to work. We we uh, we're promoting uh, certain uh, the chalap uh, matzahs in our in our conscious magazine. We we're pushing them a little bit because chalap matzahs have a lot of hidurim in it. Uh, the, the ones that we were especially the ones that we came with the special chabura. You read about it in the magazine. Yes, you can do very special chaburas and you can do wonderful things, but still, in all, forty five and fifty dollars a pound. It's it's beyond many people. But what is the excitement over this hand matzah? There's, uh, you know, you can buy uh, machine matzahs uh, that are quickly done and that don't cost so much money. And what is this whole deal about the shmura matzah? Why don't we go so far into this thing with the shmura matzah? Basically, there are two problems. One is kashras and the other one is the mitzvah of matzah. The kashras issue, obviously you can imagine that if we're watching from the time that the grain is cut, we're making sure that nothing of any moisture gets into it. We have per- total control. It has to be a plus. And that's the reason why uh, we we're, we tend to try to use only shmura matzah. That would be one reason. But there's another reason too. The Vilna Gon uh, holds that every kezayis of matzah that you eat on Pesach, you get a mitzvah. A, to- a mitzvah from the Torah of eating matzah. Now, you, the chiyuv of eating matzah, the responsibility to eat matzah, is not every single time you eat it. It's not required uh, eating all the time, you know, every day, three, three, four kazeis uh, of matzah. There's no such thing. The only requirement that really exists is the night of Pesach to eat a kazeis of matzah. That's the only requirement. But the the psukim in the Torah, there are three psukim. One is it says, Be'erev tochlu matzos. On the night of the Seder, the night of Pesach, the first night of Pesach, there's a mitzvah to eat matzah, Be'erev tochlu matzos. And there are two other psukim that says, Sheshish yamim tochal matzos. And the other one that says, Shivas yamim. One says six days you eat matzah. And one says you say you eat seven days matzah. <laughs> one second. Six or seven, make up your mind. So the Gemara says, yeah, six is... Uh, is, is not a requirement. Six is voluntary. Seven means including the, uh, the first night. And the first night, it's a mitzvah. Seven is all inclusive, but, but the first night is a, is a chiyuv. And the rest of the, uh, rest of the Pesach, it's optional. But even if it's optional, the Vilna Gon says, yeah, it may be optional to eat it, but if you do eat the matzah, then you get yourself a mitzvah. So, uh, it's good to think about that. Every time you have matzah, or try it the best you can to remember it, that you're actually mekayim a mitzvah. Just like anything else you do, you should do it with intent. So eating matzah should also be just be, uh, oh, I like matzah, or what am I putting on my matzah? But think about the fact that the matzah is a mitzvah, all Pesach. It's a beautiful, beautiful concept that the Vilna Gon gave us. 
Remember, the Vilna Gon is the person who, when he was about to die, was crying. And they asked him, why is he crying? He's going to the Olam Amis. So he said, yes, but I'm leaving this world for a few pennies you can get a mitzvah. And that's the, that's the point. Here we have mitzvahs galore that we're just sort of forgetting about. And we have to try more to concentrate on them. Just like the mitzvah of chesed, it's good to concentrate that you're doing a chesed. Do it, do it intentionally. Do it, do things with intent. It, it changes the quality of the mitzvah and not just to do it because that's what you're doing now. Well, that's how we do it in our family. But try yourself to try to get trained to thinking about the mitzvahs that you're doing. In any event, one of, so if we, if it's a mitzvah, then we have to have what it says in the Torah, Ushmatem as a matzos. You have to watch the matzos. And the Shmira that we, it's talking about, when is that from? And was a machlaikas, whether it's from the time, the cutting of the grain, or from the time that you ground it into flour and you start making the matzos. So we, we're machmir, uh, for the Seder, for the mitzvah of matzah, but according to the Vilna Gon, where you got a mitzvah of matzah all the time, perhaps you have to do shmura matzah for the whole time. Anyway, that's what most people are trying to do more and more over the years, to try to get the shmura matzah uh, throughout the time. Could you get machine shmura matzahs? 100%. And it, it, that's a very big plus. But uh, just buying a matzah is not really going to be good enough. Because some of the matzahs are not done with the, uh, with all the proper intents. And of course, there's possibilities of some chomets getting in in the early stages, especially in the case about the, uh, machine matzahs. And therefore, you need a very good ashkacha. If you can get a chabura matzah, it's worth it. And if you can buy shmura matzah, it's worth it. Whether you have to have hand all the time, that I cannot tell you. Because that's, that's already dependent upon people's feelings about it. Paiskim's feelings about it. I knew a Rav who was very Chashev. He actually was the one who gave smicha in Mir Yeshiva here in Brooklyn. He was the one who gave the Shirim. He was an outstanding Talmud Chacham. And he told me that except for the Seder, he didn't touch hand Shmura Matzah all Pesach. He only ate machine Matzah. But I'm sure he got a good company for machine matzah, but he didn't eat any hand matzah except for the Seder, because he was concerned then maybe you do need it there. But not the rest of the time. He tried to avoid it because about kashras. He tried to avoid hand matzah because of kashras. Now I've been going to these matzah bakeries for all these years. For, I'm telling you, uh, several decades. I'm not going to give you exact number. For quite a few decades, I'm going to these to watch the, to do the baking, and my job is to take the the matzahs out of the oven and to you know stack them up and to just and to check them whether they are fully baked or not. And I can tell you that when we go as a chabura to to, to make matzahs, it's a completely different operation than what goes on every day. And after I check through the matzahs, if I don't like matzahs, which <laughs> I hate to tell you the number that I reject, but if we don't take those matzahs, they don't throw them in the garbage. Please put them over here, nice and neatly in this little tra- trough over here. And then we'll take from there upstairs for the regular people. So what I reject is what you buy. That's the, that's the fact. What I reject is what they're selling to the rest of the public. 
Now, part of our job is to make sure that the matzah is not soft at the time it comes out of the oven, especially for people who use it, if they're going to do gabrocks for sure, they have to be worried about it. And there's an issue, so we want to make sure that it's completely uh, baked. It's hard to tell that after it dries out. The only way to know really well is in the very beginning, because due to the cooling process, the, mat- the matzah will harden. If you take uh, flour and water, and you don't do anything to it, <laughs> and you leave it together. So halakhically, it's chametz, right? And leave it there for ah, a couple of hours, and then all the water dries out. It's hard like a rock. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't matter if it wasn't really baked. Then they baked it all. It's going to be hard and hard like a rock. So obviously that doesn't prove that it was really baked. The only way to really know is when it comes out fresh, hot. Sometimes I burn my hands a little bit on it. <laughs> but that's the way you know that the, the matzah is completely baked. And we examine them that way. Uh, now, you want to know if I wash my hands first? Of course I do. <laughs> and and obviously everybody in the, in the matzah bakery does. And uh, we're not using gloves. We're using, we're, we're, we're touching the matzahs. And everybody seems to be doing that. And uh, what you have is matzahs that have been examined by people. Uh, they will examine them upstairs in the uh, when they're in the packing room before they sell them to you as well. But uh, it may be too late to be able to be sure about how thoroughly it was baked. So that's the position that we follow, and that's why we uh, examine them when they first come out of the oven. And this, all the groups do the same exact thing. That's not my. I'm not doing anything different than anybody else. I may have a different cutoff, what I what I consider to be uh, fully baked, than somebody else might say is fully baked. I mean, there's, there's two ovens in where I bake, and the other person handles the other ones. I don't know exactly what he comes up with. We come up with this uh, amount, reject a certain amount, and uh, it's been acceptable to the Bala boss. He doesn't get upset with us. Because uh, he's not, we're not throwing out or destroying his matzahs, and uh, we're choosing on our own. And obviously, we're taking enough that he's happy with it, and that, that's how it goes on year after year. So, that giving you a little bit of an idea of how the uh, hand matzahs are, are made, and uh, the hidurim, uh, many many hidurim can can go into the hand matzahs, but uh, machine matzahs may have hidurim too. So it's up to you. And if you get a chance to read our article that we have in the magazine, it discusses both of them. And it discusses, uh, uh, you know, from a point of view of the chumras that you could add on to the matzah baking process. That gives you a little bit of an idea of, of, of the kinds of, uh, of matzah that are out there. And, and people have to decide themselves. Now, how can you decide? It's like everything else. How are you going to decide anything? I personally think that uh, it's a matter like this where uh, it's no gaya to the mitzvah of the Seder. It's no gaya to the quality of the kashras in the house. And not that much is known, and it's not so simple to study it. This is where you should be asking your rov. You, you need a rov, and the rov should be able to guide you 
onto what uh, you don't have to go uh, if he's if he's involved in a group that may sells matzahs to the community in the shul and you want to buy from there that's that's fine but if not just take a few minutes and talk to him about what the options are and uh, what what should you be doing as a family what what is appropriate on your level um should what should you be using for all of pesach i mean there's obviously Hashkochas on everything you're going to buy. You're not going to buy a matzah that doesn't have hashkocha. But the question is, what standard do you need? And, you know, what, whether you're going to go shmura, you're not going to go shmura. These are things that's really appropriate to discuss with a rov. That gives you a little bit idea of the, of the, of the Indian of matzah and, uh, how, how to proceed. I, I like to go on to some other things right now. And uh, one of the, the, the OU puts out something that everybody should be getting. If you have internet or you have email, you just need email. You don't need internet. There's a daily thing from the OU and, uh, you can go on the, on the OU website. There you need to do that. And you could, uh, email them. And you could sign up for the daily halacha. It's called halacha yomis. And they, they're very interesting questions that are taken up. And right now they're doing brachos, which I found fascinating, of course. And I want to share with you a couple of the brachos because, um, it's, it's not so well known. And I love this one over here. This is the 500th Halachi Yomis, in memory of Rabelsky. This whole thing was started when Rabelsky died. I don't know if they were the Talmudim of Rabelsky directly, but they, in the OU, has been used, had used Rabbi Belsky as a halachic posek, not a posek, as a halachic advisor for many years now. And, uh, when he passed away, it was a tremendous loss. And the people up there said, we gotta do something. And they decided they're gonna put out a daily halacha. It's amazing. It really comes out every day. I mean, on Shabbos, but every day. And you have, you, it's a, it's a very practical thing. It's short. It's like a big, like a paragraph. Maybe a little longer, sometimes two paragraphs, but that's it. You can read it in 30 seconds, I think. And, uh, you have a practical halacha. So let me t- share with you this one, which was the 500th. That means it's, you know, more than a year going on here. Rabelsky Zatzal, Ruled that the bracha for hearts of palm is Barepri Hardoma. See, that's a big issue, this, uh, this, the hearts of palm. Some people are making it shahako, and some people are making Hardoma. And it's very, very interesting why, and I'm going to share with you here. Rabelsky ruled that the bracha for hearts of palm is Barepri Hardoma. The Gemara, Andaf Lamed Vavamud Aleph in Brachos, cites a disagreement between Rav Yehuda, and Shmuel, as to which bracha should be recited on Korah. Korah, Korah, whatever, is, is, is hearts of palm. It's the inside of a palm tree. According to Rav Yehuda, the bracha is Hadama, and according to Shmuel, it's Shahako. The Gemara concludes that since one did not plant a palm tree, 
having in mind to harvest the hearts of palm. You're making a palm tree for a palm tree. You didn't, you didn't plan to go ahead and cut it open and take outside, take out from the inside of the, of the tree, take out these, these little, uh, pieces of hearts of palm. Rabelsk, uh, the, so therefore the bracha should be shahako. And that's, it follows Shmuel that the halacha is shahako. That's how the Gemara ends off in bracha stuff. Rabelsky explained that today, see it changed, since palm trees are planted with the intent of eating the hearts, people today know that they're going to get the hearts of palm. That's one of the reasons that they're planting the tree. It's definitely planted for that purpose. So, and the, and obviously it must be financially, uh, worthwhile to, to hock away at the tree. I don't know if you ever saw it. I saw the whole thing on the video. It's a beautiful video. Just shows you how they cut, they cut the tree and they get inside there and they're taking out the heart from there. That's very interesting. It's a long thing, a few feet long and then they processes it. They cut it open again and then they process it. And it's very, very interesting how it's done. But the thing is, is actually the way it was when it was in the tree. The thing, problem is, is it, was it planted for that? So Rabbi Belsky says that today, the hearts of palm are planted in the palm tree with the intent of making the hearts of palm. The appropriate bracha then should be hadama. Although hearts of palm grow on a tree, the bracha is not ha'etz, but hadama. This is because the hearts of palm are not an actual fruit. No one's gonna claim it's the fruit of the tree but the core of the stem of the tree. In the stem, down below, you have this core, and it's, I don't know how thick it is, but it's bigger than our hearts of palm are, and it's, uh, there's like a coating on the outside, and it's got a machete, and he chops away at the tree, and then he chops away at the, the heart of palm, the outside has a, a protective shell, and he, he chops away at that, and then the, they take out the hearts of palm. It's a long piece. So since they they are part of the actual tree and not fruit, the brach is downgraded from a eights to a dhamma. So I thought that was very interesting. Again, if a person is making shahako, there are probably people who are paskin to do that way because it's based on the Gemara itself. I'm not questioning that. But hadama may be the appropriate bracha, and certainly you don't have to worry if you made hadama or you want to make hadama. If you have Rabbi Belsky, at least that's who we'll be discussing now. Now, here's another Shaila, which really separates a lot of people. And very confusing. And very, very popular, this, this Shaila. Really is, I mean, I, I, again, this is great. And it was a two-part. One day, and then the next day. See, if anything's too involved, they make it two days out of it. <laughs> Sometimes three or four days out of it. It's great. It's great material. You should go there to their website if you can, ou.org, and if you can sign up for Halacha Yomis, it's going to change your life. It's going to be, you're going to be so educated. You, you can't believe it does a lot of kashras. It does brachos and, uh, if you, and other halachas too, but it's, it's all based upon Rabbi Belsky as much as possible. What's the bracha on peanut butter? A spoonful of peanut butter that you eat plain, not on the on a sandwich or on the top of a cracker. There are two opinions regarding the bracha on peanut butter. 
First, we'll discuss the opinion that holds the bracha on peanut butter is shahako. The Shulchan Aruch in uh, Reish Ches, Sif Ches, writes that one recites hadama on cooked beans. The Ramah adds that if the beans are completely disintegrated, you may say a shahako. Therefore, it should follow the brach on peanut butter should be shahako. Since the peanuts completely lose their identity. However, the Mugan of Rum explains that the bracha on disintegrated beans is downgraded to shahako because it's not the normal way to, that this food is eaten. That's why it's shahako. Cooked beans are normally eaten when you can see them as beans. Canned beans, right? If so, most peanuts today are processed into peanut butter. Should we recite Hadama on peanut butter? Where Shlomo Zalman Orbach said that even today you should say Shahako. Where Shlomo Zalman said you should say Shahako on peanut butter because the peanuts taste better than ground peanuts. In other words, the peanut butter supposedly on its own right is not as good as peanuts. And peanuts are not ground to improve their taste. Now you are eating peanut butter most of you out there are not really eating peanut butter. You're eating something that's a mixture with peanut butter in it. If you want to know what peanut butter is, you can get a grinder and put the peanuts in and grind it the way they do it in the stores and you get peanut butter by adding nothing. They don't even add oil. It's the, it's the, it's the normal, it's the normal, uh, thing. You just add you just add uh, nothing. Just just grind it. And you've got peanut butter. That's how that's how it works. That, that's what peanut butter is. But but you, most of you, are buying peanut butter, and you look on the label, you'll see this was added, that was added, this was it. Salt for sure. Other things, it's all taste. So you are tasting something that you like better than peanuts. Peanut butter to you is more geschmack than peanuts because you're not getting j- real peanut butter, you're getting adulterated peanut butter. So it's changed. Now that, now even, just cause you changed and made it taste better doesn't mean that it, it's gonna make the bracha go back to hadama. Going to Shlomo Zawin, you know, you, you, uh, you, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the, the corner of Shlomo Zalman, it's not as good as the peanuts themselves. People who eat peanuts, a lot of people don't eat peanuts in, out of the shell. But the people who do eat them, uh, especially the ones that are ru- dry roasted, they go crazy over them. Even with nothing added, just plain dry roasted, they go crazy over them. It, it, and the thing breaks and crunches in your mouth and the, the flavor comes out. It's unbelievable. So, uh, so it's not as great, uh, the peanut butter. Plain peanut butter is not that is as great as the other. That's what he claims anyway. That's what Shlomo Zaman. Therefore, once the peanut loses the form, the brach is downgraded to shahako. That is what Rav Shlomo Zaman says, and it's quoted from Rabbi Badner's Halachas of Brachas, page 410. So that's where that comes from. Now, that was on March 7th. But on March 8th, they added another piece, which is very, very nice. Why do some people say hadama on peanut butter? Rav Salavechik Zatzal maintained that pureed vegetables 
which lose their form, still retain the bracha of hadama. Accordingly, the bracha on peanut butter is hadama. The basis for this is in Shulchan Aruch, Reish Hei Siv Beis, which states that the bracha on vegetable soup is hadama. Even if all the vegetables have been removed from the soup, what do you have left? Water that got the vegetables in it. And you're making hadama on the water that has the essence of vegetables in it, but there's no visible vegetables. So you can't get any less vegetable than a soup that has the flavor of the vegetable and doesn't have any vegetables in it. But then there you're making hadama. So even though the vegetable soup without the vegetables doesn't have any of the form of the original vegetables, still the bracha is hadama. It stands to reason, says Rav Salvechik, that pureed vegetables should not be worse than the soup. According to this approach, which is not following the rule of, ruling of the Ramor, the bracha on peanut butter is hadama. Now, there's another piece here, uh, which I, is back from three, from, 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 uh, March 7th. Listen to this. Chunky peanut butter. Oh, chunky peanut butter. This is a fooler. The 99.9% of the people would not get this right. Listen to what it says. Store-bought chunky peanut butter. According to those who hold, you should make shahako on peanut butter. You should make a shahako on the store-bought chunky peanut butter. Even though you see the pieces. Because it's made with the smooth peanut butter and they add the peanut chunks. <laughs> so the eker is regular peanut butter. How many people knew that? Come on. How many people would have known that? That you get free <laughs> by signing up for uh, the, 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 for the yomis at the OU. It's, it's a fantastic piece. We're going to go a few minutes more. I, I think we're going to mention a few things about Pesach from the, from the Cautious magazine, because that was basically what I was going to work on. Let me, let me share with you one of the things that I don't have time to do it completely, but it's a very strong point that I'm going to make. And you may not agree. I mentioned it tonight or a little earlier. Uh, most people never heard of this. And I've been printing it for maybe 20 years, every year in the Cautious Magazine. I'm going to read it to you. It's a paragraph that's here. I thought that by printing this paragraph, I'm going to get threats <laughs> from certain people and how dare yous from the others. I thought this was going to raise so many feathers, so many hackles, so many people going to get upset with this, 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 uh, this quote. I thought I wouldn't be able to survive it. And listen to what I quote with the quote. This is me. I wrote it. Page 29 in Kasha's Magazine's Pesach issue. Editor's note. Many halachic authorities feel that even with so-called mavushal wine, cooked wine, done through pasteurization today, one should not allow a non-Jew to pour the wine as the pasteurization process may not fulfill the requirements of cooked wine. In other words, I'm challenging the word mavushal on many of the wines. 
Who am I quoting? How did I dare do that? Listen, here's who I'm quoting. Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach Zatzal. Rav Shmuel Halevi Vosner Zatzal. Rav Shalom Yashav Zatzal. Dayan Weiss Zatzal. And Rav Adi Yosef Zatzal. All of those people challenge what we have in America as Yayin Mavoshal. Does that mean nothing's Mavoshal? No, no. The stuff is some things are Mavoshal. Like the Bedat, the Bedats, the Yedach Areyas makes it Mavoshal. But they, but there are, but the, but there are a lot of the wines that we have in America are based on certain Hatayrim and they don't qualify according to many authorities as being really mavushal to allow Goy to pour the wine because the, the, the amount that we do to make that bishul is very minimal. It doesn't really change the quality of the wine because if it did, you wouldn't buy it. <laughs> the very fact that you're buying the wine and can't tell the difference between a mavushal and not a mavushal is because it's questionable whether that mavushal is really mavushal. And that's what we wrote. I know, I, maybe now at least the people who were listening to the show heard it. <laughs> so it, you can look at the, the quote yourself and uh, see what you think. And we, we discussed the different wines from the different, uh, uh, the different sources and uh, the new wines, everything here about the wines. And the big story was the Pesach Hotels. I think I mentioned it here. I'm not sure if I did, but it's an article that was written by Rabbi Yehuda Shane from Lakewood, and uh, it's one of the most dramatic pieces that I think I've ever printed about problems in Pesach hotels. Uh, most of the people who are going to read it are not in the hotels, <laughs> but if they go to the hotels, you have to read it very, very thoroughly. And people coming to me constantly about the hotels, can I go to this hotel, go to that hotel? The one thing I tell you for sure is I, I like to ask the question, First question, is the Rav Hamachshir going to be at the hotel the whole Pesach? Is he going to be there himself? If he's going to be there himself, then you can be sure he's giving it his best shot. But if he's not there himself, then it's a whole different ball game because it means that he's relying on his mashkiach, head mashkiach, to do the whole thing. Because it's impossible for him to set it up properly, especially if he has several hotels and he is a, a lone man, not a, an organization. Very, very hard to set it up. Very often he's relying on his head mashkiach for the whole thing. And every time you go to a new hotel, there's kinks and problems the first time you're there. So it's definitely... Uh, that question is definitely something you should be asking. If you're going to a hotel for Pesach, is the man going to be there? This article that was written about problems in Pesach hotels was talking about visiting a particular hotel and the Rav HaMachshir was not there, had not come there yet. He was going to make a visit during Chol HaMoyed. And this gentleman, Rabbi Shane, visited the place during Chol HaMoyed before the rabbi had come yet. So that he noted a whole list of problems in that particular hotel. And it shows you exactly what went on, why there were concerns, and how the food is either 
not pesedich or not kosher. And the, and, and Yom Tov and Shabbos and all the halachas here, you see how many things could go wrong and did in one particular case, in one hotel, with somebody who was considered to be a, a, a responsible uh, Rav HaMachshir. And the, and the difference, I think, is whether he's there on the premises or not. Because when he is there, he is on top of it because he's eating the food himself. And he's not going to rely on a head mashkiach. He'll have a head mashkiach. But he will have total control. Some people never ever visited the hotels that they went, that they were certifying. They didn't visit them on Yom Tov at all. But most people who give hashkachas will visit. And they do have a, a competent, uh, head mashkiach if they can. But still things do go wrong. And it's very important to try to have a place that had a mashkiach, I mean, a rava machshir who is on the premises. And that's the very first question that I think everybody should ask. This year in the magazine, uh, we have, you know, a feature that we always had, which is a, 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 a thing to measure the matzah and the maror. This year we have it in color. Baruch Hashem was able to work it out to get it in color. And we go through the entire Seder. I don't have the time probably next week to go through it. Next week we have a, a guest who's going to be, be with us discussing the Indian of Chametz, which I think you'll find very interesting. And on the 26th, the last Monday before Pesach, Hashem, we're going to have Rabbi Rabinowitz from the OU, and uh, he's going to answer questions about all kinds of products. And I suggest you either send me questions or call in that night if you can. And um, you can leave messages with me at 718-336-8544 or kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine for Kashrus on the Air.